Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Weekly Whitney, a Beacon Wire podcast. I'm Lucas Whitney, joined as always by my lovely co-host and wife, Cassie. Hello, everyone. It's going to be a shorter episode today. To start off, I have started watching The Mindy Project on Hulu. Cassie watches it every couple of months, and I've always seen scenes from it that are enjoyable enough to watch. I love Ike Barinholtz from his Mad TV days, and... I've always thought Mindy Kaling was funny, especially when she was on The Office as Kelly Kapoor. And I really like the voice of Chris Messina's character, Danny Castellano. For some reason, I just think it's a very soothing, calming voice for the show. It's a good first season. You know, most comedy seasons, for some reason, aren't the best. But, you know, I'll let Cassie kind of explain why they're not the best. She had a better opinion of it than I could ever have. You do. Um, I I was thinking that a lot of times with sitcoms, comedy is based on the the situation for those kind of shows. So you have to know the characters and know where they're coming from and know their personalities. So you, obviously you can't know all that right off the bat. You have to have some time to build it up and meet them and understand everything. It's like a pot roast. You put it in the oven for like an hour. Yeah. You let it cook. Well, and then it's you, really good. Even, like, you know, when you watch, like, live stand-up, like, comedians, you know, they have a, a set-up portion of the joke before they get to the punchline. Right. So. But it's like it needs to cook. And I think the I think the first season is, like, it in the oven. Yeah. And then near the end of the season, or, like, season two, is, like, you, you get a taste of it, and you're like, damn, this is really good. Right. Like, Superstore, awful pilot. I did not like the pilot. It's tonally and totally different from the rest of the show. Yeah, we almost stopped watching it. I almost did not move forward with it, but I powered through, and the first season's fine, but, like, second season hits its stride, and Mindy Project was way more polished than Superstore was, and I think it's just because Mindy has worked so much in the office. She was obviously an actor. She wrote, directed, and was a part of the writer's room and the producing crew Mm -hmm. so i think that all that experience she just was like i can do this yeah and it it shows because it is a very polished show right off the bat i I think it just takes two to three episodes to really kind of find her footing with everything but then i think the rest of the season you're just sort of waiting for the the bigger storyline to develop which is totally normal for a sitcom um i know what i really enjoy about the show is uh, number one is light light heartedness because it's hard to find a quality show that's not super dramatic and heavy and you know when i wake up in the morning and i'm just watching something before work i don't really want to watch something super heavy i've seen you wake up and watch 13 reasons why but not like (laughs) not a first watch i know but only on like like the second or (laughs) third watch because you know i don't have anything there's there's limited shows that are like morning shows what i call them nothing's like eating breakfast and watching a show about a girl who killed herself Okay, you that, know what? It just hits different. <laughs> I just had to chime in with that. Ha ha ha. Um, it's a good show. I'm I'm not going to give a final score, obviously, till I'm done with it. And I don't think I can give a show a score because every season is going to be different. Every season is going to be funnier no. or not as funny, you know. But I mean, uh, my my main things that I really like about the show is, is Mindy, <coughs> and I appreciate number one that she's. Uh, a boss on the show. It is her show. She's not just the star. She's the star. She, like Luca said, she's the producer, director, writer. Like she does a lot of those jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, she's a, a, a woman of color in the industry who's 
proud of that, but also living her life in a in a good way. You know, she's in the show. She's a doctor, and she's proud of her body that is not super super stick thin. Also, so she's and she's funny. Mm-hmm. So it's like she has all the things, all those things going for her, but they're not even like at the forefront of her personality. You know, they're just things that come come with her. Yeah. So I think that's great. Very realistic, I think. Cassie is still obsessed with Hamilton. I'll let her go off on a minute or two about how much she's loving it because it's driving me insane. So I've... <laughs> yeah. You know, that's all I do is annoy Lucas. That's my well, favorite hobby. I'm eating Buddy's Pizza, by the way, real quick. Shout out to Buddy's Pizza and Portage. If you're ever in Portage, Michigan, go eat it. It's like the best pizza I've ever had in my life. It's based in Detroit, so yeah. there's a lot more locations. Sorry. But go ahead. It's very good. Um, so, first watch of Hamilton, we watched it when it came out on Disney+, Plus, and I was like, well, that was alright. That was kind of long, honestly, and I wasn't really thought that I was saying the entire show. So, that was my first, very first thought. And I started um, seeing all the songs on TikTok. And the song started to get stuck in my head. And then I started to listen to the soundtrack, and I have not stopped since. <laughs> so it's been a few weeks since I've been listening to the soundtrack, just like 24-7. <laughs> um, I've watched the actual play a co- only a couple times, but there's so many layers to the story and little things that you pick up overhearing it over and over again. You know, every song has at least two meanings, if not three. I, I just think it's very enjoyable and obviously audibly fantastic. But hmm. a, lot, a lot of stuff went into the actual storytelling of it also. I don't I don't hate it. I mean, it's cool that you're that you like it that much. It really is. I mean I'm I'm not I make fun of it, but you know, the songs are starting to slowly creep into my head a little bit. There's they're really good songs. The one good thing Trump can do is ban TikTok. That'd be the one good thing he can do. That'd be the one thing <laughs> that he could do to absolutely get him voted out of office. But it'd be great if he did it until then. So we're going to dive right you in. You have your little videos. I can't have my TikToks. What little videos? Your little Twitter videos and memes and jokes. And I can't have my TikToks. I think I'm a little old for TikTok. I think anyone over 30 is, is too old for TikTok. So, we're going to dive right into our director's look back series. This is volume three of the 20 to 30 volumes that we're going to do. Or until movies come back, who knows. This week it's Clint Eastwood. We watched Million Dollar Baby on Netflix and Gran Torino, which was a rent or own digital. It's not on anything for free right now. Gran Torino, a 2008 American drama film produced and directed by Clint Eastwood. Who Also stars in the film. This is his first starring role since Million Dollar Baby that we're going to discuss as well. The story follows Walt Kowalski, played by Eastwood, a recently widowed Korean War vet who's basically just this giant old asshole, right? Just a racist, bigoted piece of shit. That is how he is portrayed (laughs) in the beginning of the film. I don't... I don't think, even on first watch, that he was a great person, but I didn't think he was, like, a huge POS either, because I think... I think he was. I, obviously, the racism was horrible. Yeah. But also, we, we see a lot of old men who 
grew up in the era where things just, it was cool to say things like that. And yeah. obviously that shouldn't be tolerated, but it was. So it's sort of like, can you blame somebody if they've been doing it for so long? I mean, you can correct it, but, you know. Right. So Walt, you know, he just lost his wife and his two sons don't talk to him much and their kids suck. Like they, the one son, the one grandson came to the funeral of his grandmother wearing a freaking lion's jersey and the oldest granddaughter came when like a belly shirt and was texting at her grandma's funeral yep pretty crappy parenting it's pretty obvious you know walt's just kind of an angry person overall and he had he, he lives in um highland park a suburb of detroit and this neighborhood's kind of gone downhill like a lot of um latinos and asian americans have come into the neighborhood and he doesn't like it says some words that I'm never going to repeat on this podcast. Also, the, the houses themselves are falling down a little bit. Yeah, the houses look kind of shitty depending on who's there. And, you know, his is, like, perfect. Like, he's outside every day sweeping with a broom, and he uses mm-hmm. the old old school push blade mower, which is pretty neat. Yeah. I had one when I was a kid. There, He's na- he's neighbors with a, a older with a Chinese-American family, um, like a grandma, a mom, a dad, and like two or th- uh, two kids live there, and his young neighbor, his name is Tao. He calls him Toad. Tao is pressured by one of his cousins, who's in a gang, to steal Walt's prized 1972 Ford Grand Torino, which is a nice like green and silver. It looks amazing. And and he worked at Ford for his he, career. So he built it. He put the steering column in that exact yeah, thank car. You. Yeah. So like he he. It's like, it's part of him that's that car. Mm-hmm. And, like, Tao is very reserved, quiet. He's very intelligent. And a lot of his relatives and um, friends are like, oh, you do women's work because he likes to garden him. and, you know, help out around the house. Yeah, he likes to does, do his own thing. And Walt thwarts the theft with his M1 Garand rifle, which he got in the Korean War. Because of that, he also develops a relationship with the family because... In Chinese culture, to kind of make up for something that someone might have wrong, so how someone wronged you, they will have that person like do work or like pay the debt back in yeah. some way, whether it's through manual labor or through something else. And that culture in the movie is Hmong culture. Hmong, okay. Yeah. Did not know that. Thank you. The the daughter explains to oh, that's right. to Walt that that's like it's like um, certain it's a type of people that live in. Vietnam and Thailand, um, and I guess they're from the hills, is what she says. It's it's kind of a generic, you know, in some ways. Like he gets to know them, and he kind of opens his horizons a little bit, and realizes that just because they may not be quote unquote from this country, they're good people, mm-hmm. and they care about him, and he cares about them as much as you just want to punch him in the face at points during this movie. He does care about, and he more so cares about doing things that what's right, mm-hmm. like justice. Like, there's a scene where um, the sister of Tao is out with her boyfriend, who is Scott Eastwood, yeah. Clint's youngest son, dressed up like uh, Vanilla Ice. Yeah. A white boy trying to be a black guy, and <laughs> a gang a gang of black guys is intimidating them, you know, tells Scott to kind of go away, and like, they're they're kind of hitting on in a lighter tone I'm saying hitting on the sister and Clint Eastwood happens to drive by them 
and he pulls out a pistol and is like leave her leave her alone and like leave him alone tells tells his son to go away mm-hmm. and the girl gives a ride home and that's kind of the beginning of their friendship too well that was the second time that he had saved one of them because he had also saved Tao yeah Tao was going to get his ass beat by the gang for failing to steal the car and he was on they they were on Clint Eastwood's lawn and he pulls out his M1 rifle and classic tells Clint Eastwood get off my lawn it's that <laughs> it's that classic line from the movie and um, that's when they they are grateful because the this group is bad, like they they do some pretty horrific shit later on in the movie, and I don't want to really, I don't feel comfortable talking about it. But they, you know, Clint Eastwood gets vengeance on the guys, and he kind of makes peace with himself because his wife was a devout Catholic, and he kind of didn't care about church. He didn't see the point. He didn't like going to church. He did it because she wanted to. This is him kind of coming to terms with not being such a great father or a great husband at times and doing something right to to end his life like he does die at the end but like it's such a great way to do it and you know it it kind of i mean the movie's pretty old yeah it's it's 11 years old and it's it was pretty it made quite a bit of money so that's the one thing compared to me spoiling memento that made like 30 million dollars but I will put a spoiler tag in when I feel like we're getting ready to discuss them, or when we did. I guess my <clears throat> the best thing I like about this movie is showing that no matter how old somebody is, if they want to, they can change. <coughs> and they can change for the better. Yeah. So I, I like this movie because it's a, it's a give and a get. He, through Tao working off his debt that he owed him from trying to steal his car, they become friends, but they, it's... He slowly becomes less racist and more understanding of of their culture, um, and realizes that you know they're people. At the end of the day, they're people. Right, because he treated them as like subhuman scum for no reason. And then um, they realize some things about him as well. Like mm-hmm. you know, this is how it like Tao learns how to be a quote unquote man. You know how to how to get a job, how to use some tools how to do some stuff around the house very cool yeah like the the kid kind of grows up and like clint eastwood's like stop being a oh you're just such a pussy yeah like, he use that line says it, all like, the time clint way, but but he's trying to like show him how to be a man in his in clint eastwood's own kind of somewhat twisted way it's it's interesting to see like these two different cultures bonding and like Clint Eastwood keeps getting gifts from his family because he keeps saving them or helping them out. And, like, it's so funny near the end. Like, they keep bringing food and flowers over. And he eventually gives in. He's like, no, no, no more. And he, like, opens up a thing. Is that chicken dumpling? Yeah, yeah put it inside. Put it inside. Yeah. He hands up really like liking they, food. They really, they keep you fed. And he loves that part of it. He also learns about their culture, like, through um, Tao's sister as well. Yeah, she can, She brings him to one of their, um, like, a christening of a baby, I believe. No, that was before. It was, was like a before. barbecue. Yeah, was, yeah, that's right. It was a family outing. And, like, you can't pat a girl's head. And yeah. he pats a little girl's head, just, like, trying to be nice. And the whole family's like, oh, yeah. oh my God. And she's like, yeah, don't do that. They, they believe that the soul resides in the top of a person's head. Right. So that's very offensive. Um, yeah, it was, I liked the movie. I remember watching it in theaters and I really enjoyed it. It, It's been a long time since I watched it. I'd give it an 80 out of 100. I thought it was good, but it's not like, 
one that I will be keen on watching again, but I'm not opposed to it. This is one of my favorite movies. This was the movie that made me like Clint Eastwood so much as a director, and it was because of the of the overall themes for the movie. He Because he was a Korean War veteran, I think that he had some... How do I say? Hmm. He had some reservations about how good of a person he was, and he didn't think he could be redeemed. And I feel like the ending, which the ending is the, the gang shoots up the house of the the family next door and then they brutally attack and rape the daughter yeah and then that's when Clint Eastwood decides to to do to do his part and because he feels like it's his fault like he goes home and has a mental breakdown and not a mental breakdown he's just angry and then decides he like he gets fitted for a suit, which is obviously for his funeral. Well, also and, I guess we forgot to say they do that in retaliation because he had beaten up one of the he beat up the bigger ball kids who were you know that guy was bullying pretty bad. and terrorizing the kids still. He like but pissed, he he knew that he was doing that and messing with the gang. Right, he's and, the adult in the situation. He should have known better. Right, but he was just doing it out of anger and yeah. You know, he, he made it right in the end because the, he, he he got shot by all six of them and there were so many witnesses that they were going to prison basically for life. Yeah, he purposely for what they basically did. went there knowing that they were going to shoot him. He reaches in his coat pocket, um, look, making it seem like he's going to pull out a gun, but he's really just pulling out a lighter. He's pulling out a lighter that he got from the Korean War, to his first cavalry uh, lighter. So I think it kind of came full circle. Mm-hmm. If we even take the, his his neighbors out of it, it came full circle that he had, you know, like, as he says, killed young boys who were not older than Tao, mm-hmm. uh, who were scared and just, you know, trying to do their best. Mm-hmm. He had killed people like that, and then he got killed by young, a, a, young Asian Americans. Yeah. So I think that came full circle for him. Um and he was also dying anyway. And, and he, he had, like, lung cancer or something. He saved Tal from that life because eventually he either gives in or dies. Mm-hmm. And it's like um, the daughter, uh, Sue, was saying, in our culture, the boys go to jail and the girls, get ma- the girls like, go to school. Mm-hmm. And that's that kind of sucks. That, But that's the truth with some cultures. Yeah. Well, and, and to end that cycle of violence is great, and that's what I think he was trying to right. help Tal with, so that he could go get a job, get a get a life, you know, not not be sucked in by that. And he like tries to make amends with his with one of his sons, Mitch, near the end. Like he calls him, and he's like, "Hey, you know, work going good?" Mm-hmm. And the son just thinks he's just trying to talk, just to talk. He blows him off. He's like, yeah. "Hey, call me this weekend. I'll be more free." And he probably meant it, like, give me a call this weekend, we'll talk. But then he hangs up the phone, he's like, you could tell, he's like, that was different. Some yeah. Something's going on. Right. And I'm sure he's going to reflect on that. But, we you know, we're all human, so you can't really blame yourself because your dad's never been close to you your whole life. He's been kind of an asshole. You know, you, it's really just, you're kind of thinking, okay, that's just, maybe he's in a mood tonight. Yeah. But I'm sure if he saw him again, it would have been a lot different. Well, and I think that that's uh, a theme that we see in some Clint Eastwood movies is that he hmm. has a strange relationship with either family or his children in particular, and then he takes on these other people as faux family. Yeah. Um, and, like, he treated Tao like a son. What would you give uh, 
uh, Gran Torino of a score. I give it 95. I think really? this is a very, very good movie. I've always thought this movie was fantastic. Hmm. I think that it's cool to tell a story like this that's morally important. And like I said, full circle, I think a lot of things just pay off with each other. But it's also very entertaining to watch. Yeah. I, I'll bump it up to 85. 80's a little lower than I should, it should be. And um, it's still a really good movie. I also think at the time that this came out, there was, I don't know, you saw a lot of negativity from people, like, mm-hmm. especially with, like, racism and, like, older people. And this was, of course, post-9-11, so it was a lot of Americans disliking Middle Eastern people. So, I don't know. I think it was nice to see a movie that confronted that head-on and in such a positive way at the end. Right. And... Then the next movie, after we talk Million Dollar Baby, we'll uh, we'll discuss other movies or just kind of wrap it up overall about him. Uh, Million Dollar Baby on Netflix. I watched it for the first time today. I don't know how I missed this movie, but I did. Um, it's a 2004 American sports drama film directed, co-produced, and scored hmm, by Clint Eastwood. From a screenplay written by Paul Haggis, who won an Oscar for Crash, I believe, a couple oh, years later. Speaking of score, we forgot to. Oh, we'll we'll touch the... on that later. We'll we'll do that okay. after this. I gotta I gotta deliver a whole segment on it, based on a series of short stories. The film follows Maggie Fitzgerald, played by Hilary Swank, who won her second Oscar for this role, an underdog amateur boxer who is helped by an underappreciated boxing trainer, Clint Eastwood's character Frankie Dunn. And to achieve her dream of becoming a professional. This movie's great. I give it a 95. It's, it was incredible. It, I don't know how I missed this movie. I mean, it's been out 16 years and the part of the movie was spoiled by watching an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and, uh, and also watching Scary Movie 3 because they spoof Million Dollar Baby. I guess that's why Or Scary Movie 4, excuse me. You gotta watch movies in a timely fashion. (laughs) And part of the office too, when when Michael's like doing the Devil Wears Prada, like coat. Yeah, and then he. And then like, he says Makushla. Yeah. And she, Pam goes, "Oh my God, is he gonna kill me?" <laughs> and Morgan Freeman also is in this. He he's the he's the third build actor. He won an Oscar too, um, for playing Eddie Dupree, the a friend of Frankie's who helps him run the gym. Like he lives there. He's a boxing aficionado. <laughs> He used to be a boxer. Yeah, used used to be a boxer. He's just basically kind of the moral compass of this of the show, of the movie. That's a good way to say it. Like he's there to kind of further the plot, but he's such a great part. And he won Morgan Freeman won his first Oscar for this. And I would have said, "You're shitting me." That was his first Oscar. Just further proof that the Oscars are racist. <laughs> racist, and they don't have their priorities straight. Racist and sexist and elitist. Yeah. Um. And it it kind of goes through, like, she's, Maggie comes from the Ozarks of Missouri. She's white trash. And she she could live the rest of her life and just be a waitress, make minimal money. Mm -hmm. But she wanted to move to Los Angeles to try and fight and just get away from that life in in Missouri. And you can kind of see why later in the movie. Because her family's just money-grabbing pieces of shit. They're horrible people. 
And they're basically why some people don't believe in the welfare system. Yep, it gives you a good case if you're anti-welfare. You kind of watch that, and there's definitely people like that out there in real life. Yeah, um, unfortunately. And you know, it it kind of you know Clint Eastwood takes her on as as his train as her trainer and manager, and you know she goes up the ranks from just fighting in his gym to fighting for you know a woman's welterweight championship. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't go well. She gets the 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 person that she's fighting is a complete bitch. She's dirty. She will get disqualified at every fight, pretty she's, much. She's just very not very professional. She no. just, she doesn't care about winning as much as like beating their ass. Yeah. And um, she gets punched in the back of the head and starts falling down towards her stool. But Frankie's assistant didn't put it upright. He put it the wrong way. And Frankie's trying to move it, but it's too late. She cracks her neck. She's paralyzed from the neck down. Well, the the thing is, she got punched after the bell was rung. Yeah, and the ref, so, looked, the ref didn't see it. Yeah, well, so typically in that scenario, that means, you know, the action stops. And that's when they do put the stool back in the ring and give her a minute to recover and whatever. Mm-hmm. So that was actually every, everybody did everything right like they were supposed but to. But the stool wasn't the right side. Well, they were going to move it, though. That I think that was part of their routine. Hmm. Well, I think it was just sitting there. And normally, like, you could see if you, like, I focused on the stool because I knew that was such an important part. Like, I noticed that Frankie, whenever he did the stool, he'd immediately, as soon as he got it past the ropes, put it up. Whereas the assistant or anybody else puts it vertical and then, or horizontal and then vertical. That was just a weird, interesting thing I watched. Mm, uh, I mean, I I'm not trying that, to sound pretentious. I'm just like no, but the person to blame in this scenario is the woman who oh yeah, absolutely after the bell rung because had there been no punch, rules were followed. This wouldn't have happened. There would not be a stool in the ring at that point. Right. Yeah. Hil- Hillary Swank's character Maggie is a quadriplegic on a ventilator for the rest of her life. That she would be. She's in the hospital. Frankie's trying to get everyone to help her. Like he calls every hospital probably that specializes in that type of nerve damage and um, spinal fractures, they say she's just, she's she's going to be like that the rest of her life. Yeah. And he is just trying to get the, this resolved. He blames Morgan Freeman for ha- making him take her on, and that's just a sort of denial. He just basically becomes her dad because she keeps talking about how her dad died a long time ago, and, you know, he would have taken care of her. They, they had tons of fun, and... You can see him slowly start to warm up to her, and he gives her this nickname, Makushla. And you don't know what it is, but it's an Irish name. Mm-hmm. It's an Irish nickname. That's all he tells her. That's all he tells her, because he's, stud- he's he's reading a book on um, Gaelic, too. And he gives her that nickname. You know, throughout it, and, you know, like her family comes, they're a week late from when they said they show up because they went to Disneyland and Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. And they're there with an attorney trying to get her to give all of her money, which is probably over a million bucks total for her winnings, mm-hmm. to the family so she can just keep it and stay on welfare. Yeah. And Hillary Swank is, she's she's there mentally, but, you know, she just cannot, physically she's gone. And she just tells her fa- mom and her family to go F themselves. Like, basically. Good for her. Yeah, because Clint Eastwood is, like, just livid that they're, that they're there. Well, one of the things that she asked her mom, too, because it's not like she's trying to be, like ungrateful or right. not kind to her family but she's like did you even watch the fight like 
And the mom says, no, but I heard you lost. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, she says, I heard it wasn't your fault, but I heard you lost. So, you know, know, I don't like you fighting. And, I mean, just like the the nerve to sit there and try to take from your daughter, who you don't have a great relationship to begin with. And she bought her a house, too, and the mom flipped out. Yes. Because she'd have to go off welfare. Yes. So, I mean, just all those things combined, and then to not even... To not even watch it, even if you didn't support it, your your daughter's on TV. She's in, winning a national title if she wins this fight. You don't want to watch it. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Maggie tells them to go away, and Frankie's Frankie knows she made the right choice, and so does Maggie. But Maggie, you know, her limbs are inoperable, and they start failing on her like. She has rotting skin on one of her uh, legs. Bed sores. Bed sores are making her skin rot, and she loses a leg, and she's just like, "You gave Frankie, you gave me a great life. You you gave me purpose, and I went out. I came into this world. She was a premature birth. I came into this world a fighter. I want to go out a fighter, and she, you know they. Frankie comes to terms with it, and. He injects her with a shot of adrenaline that's too fatal, you know, pulls her tube and and walks out. And he never goes back to the gym or anything. And I think it's just his way of, you know, he just, he's coping with a a woman that, or a woman that he considered his daughter. Because on on her deathbed, he said, Makushla means for my darling, my blood. Like my mm-hmm. pulse, like my heart walking. I googled it, and I guess the direct translation is like my vein, my blood. Right. So. But you know. But then. Yeah, it wouldn't have as much. <laughs> well, but then another cultural like re- relation to the phrase is like love. Right. So then I think that's where he got darling and, from. You know, it's like you know she she was finding her dad again with him, yeah. and she had a great time with him, and you know she cries and then she passes away, but. It's a very, like, I didn't tear up. Like, it was just such a nice poetic ending. I guess it's a good, it's a good segue because I've noticed that in both of these movies, he uses death as a happy ending. Yeah. So, I mean, death Mm, obviously is sad, but uses it as a... Making peace with things. A happily ever after. Because obviously she didn't want to be... Right. A vegetable. She didn't want to be not able to move her whole life. And then the same thing in um, in Gran Torino. He knew he was dying anyway. And then in this way, number one, he has control over his own death and doesn't have to wait for it. And then number two, he uses it for good, for a good purpose. Right. I And I noticed that, you know, with Clint Eastwood's character in both movies, he's a old man who doesn't like church too much because... In Gran Torino, he tells the pastor to f off every time. You know, I only I only went to church because my wife made me, and I'm only a Catholic because of her. And in Million Dollar Baby, he goes to church every day, but he just kind of pesters and trolls the priest, like with all these questions about God and and you know the. I like the line that he says to him. He says that like you you're pagan? just a virgin who. Oh yeah. Who wants to hold the hands of old ladies and promise them eternity at the end of their life? In Gran Torino? Yeah, yeah in Gran Torino. That redhead? Yeah. That kid's like, a I, I could goober. see how somebody could see that, but I mean, he seemed like he did just honestly want to help his community. Right. That priest. That kid was like a nerd. 
Oh, I mean, a young man who gets into that field has usually good intentions. Right. And in Million Dollar Baby, you know, the priest is just like, look, man, you know, you, you got to figure this out on your own sometimes. But, and he know he knows, he, sa- he says to the priest, you know, I basically I have to kill her. She mm-hmm. wants me to kill her. Kill her. And the priest is like, you're not getting to heaven if you do this. Basically mm-hmm. says that, like, you're on your own. Yeah. You know, you, you need to live with it. Or and he's like, well, it's a, to me it's a bigger sin to know that she wants me to do it. And, and I won't. to let her sit there and suffer. Yeah, because he just has a breakdown. Yeah. And the pastor's like, figure it out, man. Yep. You got to do what you got to do what you think is right. Which, honestly, I think that both of these movies, as well as some other Clint Eastwood films that he's directed, are full of... Um, like moral quandaries so you know moral questions like what actually would be the more moral high ground to take um even and i think that it's not black and white and that's why it's that's what makes them good films is because right. you have to sit there and think about it yeah i million dollar baby was amazing it was it might be it might be clint eastwood's best directed movie american sniper is it's number one by a thin margin. I like Gran Torino and American Sniper just a touch better because I think they move along a little hmm. bit faster. But obviously this would be like three in that top three. What would you give Million Dollar Baby? I, I'd probably give it a 90. Okay. Hilary Swank was incredible. Absolutely. I mean, she won her second Oscar. Clint Eastwood was nominated for Best Actor but lost. Jamie Foxx was going to win for Ray Charles. I don't think mm-hmm. you're beating that. Yeah. Morgan Freeman won Best Supporting Actor. So all three were nominated for their acting categories. And Clint Eastwood won for Best Director and Picture. So yeah. he didn't leave empty-handed. No. But that would have been... I wonder if he would have been the only person to ever do that when actor, director, and movie. Oh, well. I wonder if he would have been the only person. Typically, you can't juggle all those things, but he's had so many years of experience in the business i think that he kind of understands all the fields pretty well yeah um i noticed that one of his larger overarching themes in quite a few of his movies are that he not all women but the main women that you look at in the story in his movies are either completely innocent or they're the victims Mm. which i guess can go hand in hand yeah but if you look at sue um, or his wife in Gran Torino, they're both, I think, in his mind, complete saints. Mm-hmm. So anything happening to them, he has to be the one to make it right. But mm. on the other hand, you do have the woman like his daughter-in-law who w- or his granddaughter who was shown as completely spoiled and kind of bitchy. Smoked in the... Smoked right by the car and... Yeah. Probably threw a complete fit when... Uh... She found out Tao was getting the car and the will reading. Because I'm sure she would have sold that and made a shitload of money off of it. Well, she's just like, she doesn't have a relationship with her grandfather anyway. And then no. have the nerve to ask for it. Like, when you die, can I have your car? Yeah, yeah um, what are you going to do with this when you die? And literally brought it up out of thin air. B- brought it up at his gr- at his wife's funeral. Yeah. But like, they weren't even talking <laughs> Amazing. about Amazing. They weren't talking about the car. No. They weren't talking about... Like, when people pass, like, she just was, like, wanting the car. It was very obvious. That would be the moment if I were him, like, yeah, you're not getting this car. Oh, for sure. I'd much rather, to- I'd much rather just crush it than give it to you. But then you also have the the character in Million Dollar Baby of Maggie, who mm-hmm. is somebody who is super poor, 
who was like, you know, scrapping to get by on her own and just really wanted, you know, the dream of being a fighter. And she got her dream and then this horrible thing happened to her. So she was innocent and she was the victim at the same time. And she was at peace with wanting to pass away. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a life to lead because she was probably going to lose all of her limbs. Yep. And just be in a wheelchair with just not even moving for the rest of her life. So, yep. you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a total, you know, I, I wonder who had power of attorney over her. It must have been her her immediate family. Well, but then you also have the... Um... The character who we don't get to meet or see, but we know of her, his daughter in Million Dollar Baby. Yeah, writes and, to her all the time. Yes, so I guess the only action we see from her is that she sends his letters back mm-hmm. that he's written her, but we don't know what their relationship is like besides estranged and besides that action. Right. So the movie is narrated by Morgan Freeman the whole time. And at the end, he's writing a letter to Clint Eastwood's daughter. Yes. Trying to say, look, I don't know where your dad is. I'm not trying to tell you to make amends with him, but I wanted you to know that when I last saw him, he was a good man. Yeah. And I'm sure that can give the daughter some closure. Yeah. Um, but Grant Torino, I need to talk about something well, real quick. We also, just going off what I was saying a little bit more, there's the character of, um, she don't even know her name, but the woman in... Unforgiven, which most people consider his, like, top best movie ever made. The red-haired woman that uh, was the saloon madam. She gets raped, I believe, at the beginning of the movie. And that's part of him seeking justice on her behalf. So, again, Mm. we kind of see him playing that character who is seeking justice for the woman or the victim or the less fortunate. Basically, he likes to play the American hero. Grand Torino, I deducted five points from this movie because the ending of it really throws you a curveball that not many people can hit. At the end, Tao gets the car, driving with Daisy, uh, Clint Eastwood's beautiful little golden lab, old old girl that they that he gave them because he knew he was dying, and he's driving down Jefferson Avenue in Detroit, and. You know, a nice piano starts to play. Then all of a sudden, Clint Eastwood starts singing. And it's very off-putting. It's like, tell a story. Tell me what you want to hear. And it's like Randy Newman wrote the song or something. And I just had to bring it up. Like, if you watch Gran Torino, or if you have watched it millions of times, skip to the ending and listen to that song. It's pretty incredible. I'm like... Clint Eastwood can kind of do what he wants, but to throw that in, I was just like, wow. And did you think that was a good idea? I just don't know what to say about it. I, it. I had to bring it up, and if I can figure out how to embed MP3 audio, I will throw it in here for like 30 seconds. So tenderly, your story is... Yeah, I mean, it does not sound great. <laughs> like, you know, he's 90 years old, or he was eight, 79 years old when this and movie came can, out. I mean, he, he's he been alive for so long. Yeah. You know, he smoked a lot of packs of cigarettes in his days. <laughs> you can hear it in his he voice. He smokes like two packs in Gran Torino. Yeah. So, I mean, did not sound great. I don't know where 
<laughs> at 90 years old, he's just like, you know what I've never done? The soundtrack. Let's start with that. <laughs> and he just chose not to play an instrument. This is going to sing a song. Sing. And it's very awkward to me. It. I had to detract from it. I'm like, huh? Like, I just, like, I totally forgot about this. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe I walked out of the theater before this started playing. A confession of mine in regards to Clint Eastwood, I've never seen Unforgiven. I, I honestly don't think I've ever seen the entire thing. I've seen bits and pieces of it here and there, but I know that uh, quite a lot of people regard it as his best work. And he's actually been directing movies for quite a long time. Oh, yeah. I mean, what's, I'm going to look up his... He's been um, acting way longer, but he's been directing... I think his first one was Play Misty for me. Man, I'm not going to name Clint Eastwood's acting credits. I mean, it's just, it's massive, but... His directing credits are massive. They start from 1971. Yeah. And like I said, Play Misty for me. Yeah. Um, Some highlights of his career. Uh, a lot of people love The Outlaw, Josie Wales. Um, let's Heartbreak see Ridge. Heartbreak Ridge. About. Obviously, Unforgiven, The Bridges of Madison County. It's the Rookie. Oh, okay, I remember that. True Crime, or Space Cowboys Space people Cowboys talked about. Space Cowboys is a big one. Mystic River is an excellent movie. I've and never seen it. He did Mystic River right before Million Dollar Baby. They were only one year apart. Um, and people do like Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima a lot. Mm -hmm. It's gained a following. It was not successful at the box office, but... I've seen both films, and honestly, not my favorite, but I'm not the biggest war movie fan. Changeling with Angelina Jolie, that was in 2008. 2008. That's an excellent movie. Invictus, I thought was okay. Hereafter stunk. Hereafter was not great. Not a good movie. J. Edgar was not great. I didn't mind J. Edgar. Um, but Trouble not with a good... the Curve was decent. I enjoyed that. He didn't direct it, but... This is like director or producer. I don't know why they combine well, he, them. Well, he starred in it. And, right. I mean... Uh, Jersey... Um, Jersey Jer Boys, not great. No, I, I remember people were hyped for that movie. I was hyped for it. And I, I hadn't seen the musical or anything, but I was excited. And it You did? I never saw it. It wasn't very good. Hmm. Unfortunately. American Sniper is amazing. It's a good movie. Yes. Sully's fine. Sully's not a bad movie. It's It's there. I mean, that's kind of all of his movies post-American Sniper to me are like, sure. Yeah. 1517 to Paris, I didn't see, but I heard the biggest problem with it is that they used the actual men who stopped the the group of terrorists from attacking that train in, Th in Thales. Yeah, this was um, the second or third attempt in Hollywood to do something like that, and I just, actors do their job for a reason. They have to carry... The movie on their backs. Yeah. You know, so I don't know why you would try to put non-actors. Like, great that those real people, like, that happened to them, I guess, but, like, or great that they, you know, were heroes, but it doesn't mean that they can carry a film. The Mule was not good. Great trailer. The Mule had its moments, but overall was not great. Great trailer, but a, I did not like the movie. I was so bummed by it. It's basically Clint Eastwood just having an excuse to sleep with twenty-year-old women. I mean, he he was doing that. Yeah. Again, though, I think in this movie we saw estrangement with his family. Yeah. Again, it's like another continuation of an old man asshole trying to make amends or trying to make up for things he did in the past. And Richard Jewell, I thought was pretty good. It was all right. I thought it was, I thought it was a decent movie. It's, it wasn't my favorite or anything. I think it could have been done a little bit better. 
but it was okay. Honestly, like I said, everything after American Sniper has been either not great or just okay. Yeah, those 2010s haven't been that amazing. Um, I but mean, he you, really knocked it out of the park, like 2000 to 2010, though. If you, There's if you, lots of hit bangers in there. If you take out American Sniper, you could say that he hasn't made a good movie in like 10, 15 years. Because I mean, American Sniper really bumped up his uh, average, and it was by far his highest grossing film, too. It doesn't really matter, though. I think, like, I I don't think it, it's quantity. I guess for him it's both quantity and quality. Right. He has a very long, long, like, catalog, but he's got quite a few that are com- completely quality or over quality that it doesn't really matter. Right. So, like, I mean, do you really care that, you know, Trouble with the Curve was just okay? You know, after you've seen Gran Torino and American Sniper, no, you don't really care that much. No. I have to comment on Space Cowboys. That movie sucked. I remember, I, I, I actually remember being disappointed by it. I don't think I've seen the whole thing. It's not good. Like, and you see all them naked, too. Like, you see their asses. It's Clint Eastwood, Tommy Lee Jones... Uh, Donald Sutherland and James Garner all going to space as older men and there's like a scene where they're like in training or something they're all butt ass naked running around goofing off and it, I walked out of the theater at that point I'm like wow this movie sucks <laughs> I mean I don't really think anybody wants to see old man ass to be honest <laughs> it made a decent amount of money but I'm just like no I'm, I'm out I still think American Sniper is his best movie in my opinion I I, I gotta watch Unforgiven and Mystic River, and maybe I'll think about it more. But I remember being blown away by American Sniper, and people think differently of Chris Kyle, you know, compared to the movie. And obviously, a biopic kind of puts them in a lighter uh, tone for the most part. I don't think you're you're gonna make a biopic because you hate that person, right? Like you know, Bohemian Rhapsody painted Freddie Mercury. You know, it, it, it showed some dark parts of his of his life, but it was pretty cookie-cutter. And, you know, Rocket Man showed some pretty crappy parts of Elton John's life compared well, to that. I think that we've talked about this before. I think it's different how you portray somebody who's deceased rather than somebody who's still alive to give it an approval. Right. So, I mean, Chris Kyle obviously is deceased. Freddie Mercury is deceased. So... You could show, because I honestly think that American Sniper showed the fact that he he chose his calling as a soldier, or as a sniper in particular, over his family. Yeah. And, I, and that happens to a lot of, uh, or not a lot of, but a decent amount of people and in the I war. mean, like, that's your, I guess that's your choice, but, you know, know that you do have that, that you would possibly leave your wife a widow and leave your children fatherless. Like, that's something that you could be doing that affects your family that much. Right. So, I don't know. But that's, but that's, I wouldn't say necessarily a positive thing, but a realistic thing. Same as, like, Freddie Mercury stuff. Like, they showed his drug use, but not in excess. So, obviously, nobody's going to sit here and say that that was positive. That he was a drug addict and an alcoholic and, mm-hmm. you know, cheated on his girlfriend. Yeah. But, but remember- he's, like, he's deceased, though, so. Freddie Mercury? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Well, I mean, I think it would have been interesting if Sasha Baron Cohen really did get to play around with it and delve more into the darkness. Not over overly, but, like, it would have been interesting to see him do it. Yeah. 
Because he looks just like him. I don't know how I feel, because I know a lot of people do do say that, like, we, we honor the deceased. I mean, take a look at Michael Jackson. Everybody, a lot of people are very connected to him, to his music. A lot of black people hold him on a very, very high pedestal, because for a long time, he was, like, the number one recording artist, and he was black. Right. So, I mean, that, that was huge to a lot of people of color, and... I'm I'm not gonna sit here and say that he was a bad musician, but he did some really horrible things. Oh yeah. So it, with if you watch Finding Neverland, it's really hard to separate him from his music after you watch. That. And those are, I would say, more conveniently forgotten since he's passed away. Right. So I guess you could say the same for any celebrity that's passed away. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add to it. Um, I remember seeing Bridget of Madison County, and I did not like it. Went and saw my mom because I was her little buddy. It's a it's a love movies. story. It's a, and it's for adults, only not for the bri- the bridge young hive. boys. <laughs> the bridge hive loves it. Yeah, I forgot he directed that movie. I did not like that. I haven't seen it actually, but yeah, it's. I've seen that movie, A Perfect World. That's a good one. It's fine. Um, yeah, and American Sniper has one of the best posters ever too. With Bradley Cooper kind of looking down the American flags like in front of him, uh, just had to put that in. It's it's clear that Eastwood likes his heroes. Mm-hmm. He likes his. He believes in America. Yes. American heroes. And I will say, I don't know. What do you think about like? Do you think he is actually somewhat of a racist, or do you think that he enjoys <sighs> portraying that kind of? old man who is racist because I definitely it is something that reoccurs I think it is sort of a generational thing and I'm not saying Clint Eastwood's racist I just I think he probably has racial tendencies because people his age do like that's just the way they were raised that's the way that they were taught in America is it's okay to be like that and like because my grandparents you know they didn't say you know one one word that you don't like to say about or that is is frowned upon in terms of black people saying colored mm-hmm. you know when i was a little kid you know right across the street there was a black family that lived there at my grandparents house right across the street and you know my grandma would just say oh there's that little colored boy walking from the playground and i just got i was i'd ask my dad like dad why is she saying colored he's just he's a he's a kid like black kid mm-hmm. And grandma, my grandma and grandpa were like, you know, that's just the way we were, we say it. And they're like, we're not trying to, we don't mean it bad because my grandparents were amazing people, but he's, she's like, that's just how I was taught. You know, that's how I grew up. Yeah. And it's, it's wrong, but like, that's, that's kind of how I feel about Clint Eastwood because my grandparents would be 93, 94 and Clint Eastwood's 90. So they're pretty much right in line with each other. Yeah. I think he has racial tendencies, but I'm not going to sit here and slander him over it. It's it's the way you're raised. Because racism is not born, it's taught. It is taught, but it, it, I think, yeah. So, the only thing that I have to say about him in particular is that he's been in the business of Hollywood for so long, which the business in Hollywood is multicultural. It is liberal, so, I guess for him to sit there and, like, you know, star in multiple movies with Morgan Freeman, you know, work with him on a couple different pieces, and then to 
to still make like make Gran Torino and say all those horrible racial slurs. I don't know. I go back and forth because in that movie, he learns how to be a better person through those experiences. But at the same time, like, he still is saying a lot of bad racial slurs. So. Yeah. I go back and forth with it. But, I don't know. I think that the important thing with people who are older who did grow up that way is to not tolerate it and do it in a respectful, polite way. But if we let it continue, it's just going to keep going. And obviously that's not okay. Yeah. But I like Clint Eastwood overall. Like, I think he's a great filmmaker. And, you know, I'm sure he's a decent guy. You know, I'm sure he is. I like to think so. He has eight children. (laughs) And he's he's, been married and divorced twice. He's 90 years old and his youngest son is 34. So he had a kid at 56. That's his youngest son. And... You know, and what's amazing is Scott Eastwood looks exactly like him. Yes. Like, young Clint Eastwood to a T. It's incredible. Yeah. Like, you can you can tell, like, if you if you know that Clint Eastwood is a young son who's an actor and, like, you don't know exactly what he looks like, if you watch Fast and Furious 8, you can tell that's an Eastwood. You can tell it's, it's you ba- you're basically like, holy shit, is that Clint Eastwood? Yeah. Very, very, very striking resemblance. Yeah. I think that he did used to be my favorite director. I obviously still think he's fantastic. That's why he was so far up on our list of directors. But, um, but I don't think his whole catalog is as diverse as some other filmmakers. And I think that that goes a long way, too. Right. Yeah. So, I mean. He's kind of right down the, in the middle. Yeah. Very, very good. Very talented, of course. But um, I don't know if i put him as top any longer. Mm-hmm. So that was our look back at Clint Eastwood. Great director. He's made some duds lately, but everyone has him. Except I Chris mean, Nolan. Let, let's say the last thing about Clint Eastwood is he's been in the business for 80 years. Mm-hmm. I mean... Give 78 years, yeah, probably, like, yeah, since he was, like, 20 at least. That's, that's a hell of a career. Yeah. That's a hell he's a, of a he's long a legend. time. He was Dirty Harry, you know, I love those movies. I watched them with my yeah. dad and grandpa. I know, my, um. Go ahead, prick. My mom and my uncle my grew up watching those with their dad and Dirty my Harold. grandpa. And, yeah. 40, the most powerful handgun in the world. You gotta ask yourself, do you, I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Do you feel lucky? As a kid, seeing that, I was like, "Holy shit, that's awesome!" But I then did. I remember, as a, I remember watching Dirty Harry when I was older, I'm like, he was a pretty shitty cop. Like he was a pretty bad person. No, well, that wasn't the point of the movies, right? Yeah, but um, one word, badass. Yeah. So next week we have Robert Zemeckis, who's made some duds lately, but. You know, a, a, amazing filmography from him. Yeah. You know, all the Back to the Future movies, which we're not doing any of those. We're doing Forrest Gump, which is a Best Picture winner, an incredible movie. And my favorite. And, of yeah, all her time. favorite movie of all time. And What Lies Beneath, um, an overlooked but successful movie from 2000, starring uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford. Oh, it's the best thriller. It's a good thriller movie. Um, what Lies Beneath, you can watch on Amazon Prime Video for free. 
Forrest Gump you can watch on Stars or on demand, like renting it or buying it. So we will talk. It's worth the buy. It's, yeah, it's probably like less than ten dollars. Oh, I'm sure. Mo- and a hundred percent worth it. Grand Torino was nine dollars to buy. A million dollar baby would have been twelve bucks. So it's not that bad. Um, a quick preview: what because we haven't really touched on these movies um, on the pod. We did it on our Facebook group post. So we'll just run through the rest of the list. So next week, Robert Zemeckis. Um, following that, Quentin Tarantino. Then David Fincher, then Ridley Scott, followed by Tim Burton. The week after that would be Spike Lee, and then Guillermo del Toro. After that, Ron Howard, then Ang Lee, then Bong Joon-ho. Oh, I can't wait. Um, Bong Joon-ho. Then Alfonso Cuaron, and then Steven Soderbergh. Um, after that, the Coen brothers, and then Paul Thomas Anderson, and lastly, Edgar Wright. Yeah, so David Fincher, we're going to watch Gone Girl and Fight Club. Ridley Scott, Gladiator, which is an incredible movie, and Prometheus, which is one that, as a person who loves the first two Alien movies, I despised that movie when it came out. But as somebody who watched Prometheus before the Alien movies, I thought it. it was very good. It's like watching the Star Wars prequels first. You like those. And then you go on the episode four, five, and six, and some people are like, oh, I don't like them as much. And now, now that I have seen all the movies, I guess I understand no. it to a T, but I, I or to a little bit, but. And Tim Burton, we're gonna watch Ed Wood, which I've never seen. Me neither. I've always. I've heard to. it's amazing, and Sweeney Todd, which is a good movie. Spike Lee, Do the Right Thing, and Love and Basketball. You, I haven't seen either of those. I'm excited for that. Week. Yeah, I've never seen either of them. Guillermo del Toro. The Shape of Water and Crimson Peak. I've only seen Shape of Water. It's a great movie. Um, Ron Howard, A Beautiful Mind and Ransom. I put random. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll edit that. That's funny. Ransom's a good movie. A Beautiful Mind I've never seen, but I know Same. it's Russell Crowe's second Oscar, I believe. Ang Lee, Life of Pi and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I've seen both of them. I like them both. I wanted to put Hulk on here, but she wouldn't allow it. I, I hate that movie. I think that's the best Hulk movie. I've um, seen it multiple times and hate it so much. It's a straight up comic book in, in a movie. It's straight up awful. Bong Joon-ho, um, the best movie of the last decade, Parasite. Whoop, whoop. And Snowpiercer, which is, uh, I haven't seen it, but I've heard, it's in, I've heard it's actually pretty good. And there's a show on TNT based on it. Alfonso Cuaron, Gravity, which is a masterpiece. And A Little Princess, which I've never seen. Steven Soderbergh, I've seen both of these. Aaron Brockovich and Ocean's Eleven. Coen Brothers, I've seen both of these. No Country for Old Men and Burn After Reading. No Country for Old Men is one of the best movies in uh, the last 20 years. And Paul Thomas Anderson, There Will Be Blood, which is an epic movie. And Punch Drunk Love, which is a very overlooked Adam Sandler, quote-unquote, when he has a good script, he acts really well movie. Oh, I just love Adam Sandler. And Edgar Wright, Shaun of the Dead, which was his first big movie, and Baby Driver, which was his last movie. So, we just kind of touch on those, because not everyone goes on the Facebook page. So, that's it for us this week, and hopefully everyone's staying safe and cool. It's it's going to be hot the next two days. Um, Again, just a little bit of a disclosure for our director's list. Um, like we said before... We included people that we uh, could compare a larger body of work 
and had a quality body of work. Mm-hmm. So there are obviously movies that are not on there. There's directors that are not on there, and they might have either just been not to our personal taste, or we couldn't get too big of a body of work off of them. Right. Um, hopefully that'll change in a couple of years. But until then, and until next week, we will talk to you then. And don't forget to watch Forrest Gump and What Lies Beneath. Have a good week, everybody. And be kind and wear a mask. Yep. See ya. Bye. See ya, pals.